Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, The Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us from Canada, from across the pond, fantasy author K.V. Johansson. Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Hello. I'm very <laughs> glad to be here. Thank you. We are glad to have you on. And also, dear listeners, our first live guests from Germany, our neighbors. Hello, Frankfurt. Hello. Hello, Vienna and hello, Canada. <laughs> and a warm applause for our guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, KV, you are a weaver of worlds and teller of tales. Yep. And um, uh, yes, you are. And according <laughs> to your website, Lord of the Rings is to blame for that. Yes, it is. I read it when I was very young, and then I read it again and again <laughs> and again. I, I was I was eight when I read it. And it just sort of soaked into me, just that mm -hmm. love of language uh, and, and sort of history and this idea of a world that has like layers and layers and layers of stories underlying the main story that you're, you're reading. Mm -hmm. That just sort of, I don't know, got into me somehow and, and shaped how I, how I looked at stories mm -hmm. and how I read other things and mm -hmm. gave me quite an interest in, in history mm -hmm. and in languages. and. Probably the the urge to write stories myself mm -hmm. or to tell stories was always there, but it, it shaped how that developed, I think. Mm -hmm. And your books, I mean, this is a series, actually. Uh, yes. Uh, they are all interwoven with each other, and it is a very elaborate kind of world building you did in your books. Gods, Gods of the Caravan yeah. Road uh, began... Yeah, it began with with just one character in a situation, and sort of his story expanded, and it was sort of it kept pushing the map, mm -hmm. making the map larger, and other characters came in, and then they had history that went down and back underneath everything, and so the series ended up covering a couple hundred years, and then there's mm -hmm. a couple hundred years before it that you kind of find out things. There are sort of other stories mm -hmm. from that that then become told in the course of the, the main thread of adventures. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was mm -hmm. very interesting. I didn't know where it was going to go when I began it. <laughs> okay. so, did you start at one point planning uh, all the different events so that you that they fit together in the timeline? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not very good at the long-term planning. <laughs> So, <laughs> did you have to correct something because you discovered it doesn't fit? Yes, I, I occasionally had to do that. I uh, between um, between Black Dog, the first book, mm -hmm. and the Leopard and the Lady, which mm -hmm. are sort of they're really one story cut in two. But so mm -hmm. that's the second and third book, the Leopard and the Lady. Uh, there's this gap of time, mm -hmm. and. It worked for one group of characters that who were doing other things during that time. And for another pair of characters, it made no sense at all that it took them that long to get to the city where the story was happening. And so I had to sort of figure out like, what were they doing? Why, why weren't, why didn't they go off and like deal with their part of the story? Like, and that would of course ruined everything because everyone had to be there at the same time. But then I realized there were sort of two things going on. Mm -hmm. 
one of them is that one of the characters is sort of fighting depression through the whole series, and she tends to try to avoid getting involved in things and doing the things that she needs to do. And so she's very much someone who, well, she just sort of wanders off into the wilderness and doesn't come back for, you know, a hundred years, three years, six months, whatever's convenient for the plot, but also mm -hmm. for herself. She <laughs> she tends to do that. And then there was also the fact that one of the characters, her, her partner is a, a werebear. He's a demon. He's a bear by day and a man by night. Mm -hmm. And they're crossing desert and things. And he's going to get heat stroke. <laughs> so he got sick when they went into the deserts. And, mm -hmm. and so this was sort of just kind of mentioned in passing as a mm -hmm. joke much later mm -hmm. that they'd been wandering around a lot, but also that like he got heat stroke. She picked a fight with a god mm -hmm. and a god who's not in the story and, and a little wild god and ended up killing it. And basically all these bad things happened. So they went off. Mm -hmm. This is why it took them two years or whatever it was to, to get to the next story when they should have been able to travel it in a few months. Ah, okay. So I do things like that. Uh, yeah, like yeah. That, with her, that um, character in particular. Yeah. You mentioned um, Tolkien's also rather elaborate world building. He, he also invented a language for the elves. And I was wondering, where did you draw your resources from for the stories? Ah, For for the languages in particular, uh, yeah, or? but also but also the worlds and also their ah. their spirituality, mm. because each each um um uh, tribe, let's call yeah. them tribes, has their own um gods, their own ideas, their own complete culture culture cultural yeah. background. Yeah. Well, for that, I um because I. I was sort of thinking of of the Silk Road and mm -hmm. that situation of a a trade route spanning a continent. Mm -hmm. I um I looked at the real world at, for sort of models of kind of clusters of customs and mm -hmm. and language groups because I I don't make up languages but I tend to take the names or sort of the sounds mm -hmm. from languages mm -hmm. and and, and um so that all, all the people within a certain culture, the names sound as though they go together and the place names sound as though they go together. Mm -hmm. And so I have sort of old Norse-ish ones mm -hmm. and sort of Celtic-ish ones mm -hmm. often there. Um, uh, Ashvar, mm -hmm. uh, his name is different. He just sort of, he took someone else's name after the, mm -hmm. after he killed him. And, mm -hmm. and so that's not his original name, but mm -hmm. so his name doesn't fit his people. Mm -hmm. uh, But those I for I, I used a Cornish a Cornish dictionary for that one mm -hmm. of the sort of more obscure mm -hmm. um, Celtic <laughs> languages I mean outside the English speaking world mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. uh, and and I found things that are sort of influenced by kind of vaguely Mongolian mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sounding things and yeah. I just did stuff like that to get names and and place names and things and for the cultures themselves. Uh, they were partly influenced by real world things and partly made up and partly sort of mix and match to let something new evolve. So as to have some contrasting things, but things that seemed to all go together as part of one world mm -hmm. that had a lot of contact back and forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so it kind of worked like that. Mm -hmm. And you said the Norse came into it. Uh, we were wondering... Because we spoke about Black Dog and um, 
the, the, the title character of this book, the black dog, mm-hmm. he shares <laughs> if there was a, a body. Yeah. <laughs> if there was another influence for that. Exactly. From the Star Trek like, universe. Ah, that itself. I don't know. I wrote about shapeshifters ever since I was a kid. Ah. Mm-hmm. And he's... He was sort of almost inevitably going to be a shapeshifter of some sort when I started. Mm-hmm. And the story actually began just with the idea of him, of this, he's a fairly young man at the, that point. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just was in a, a town being attacked yep. by somebody else. Yep. And he's in a bad mood because his girlfriend dumped him. <laughs> it's not his town. And why is he having to, you know, he's there, he's going to fight to defend it, but it's not his town. And then he's possessed because this, this creature yep. possesses him because because he just stops to help a child. And so basically he's he's angry about it. He's mm-hmm. got to sort it out. And it just sort of, that happened. I don't know where that came from, but that was the seed that started the whole story. And then working on that, it didn't really, that bit didn't, that aspect of it doesn't really come from anything else because that's something I've been writing in various forms for mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when I was quite young, I read um, uh, Patricia A. McKillop's Riddle Master series. Mm-hmm. And there are shapeshifters in that. Mm-hmm. And when I was really, really small, I really liked uh, the fairy tale, um, the Grimm's fairy tale, mm-hmm. little brother and little sister, with the the one with the various springs in the forest, and mm-hmm. and and you know they say this, the springs are saying, don't don't whoever drinks from me will turn into a tiger, and the sister's telling her little brother don't do this. Don't, don't do it. You'll turn into a tiger and eat me up. And, but I'm so thirsty. And they keep going. He turns, he turns into a deer or a fawn. Um, I really liked that one. Mm-hmm. And so it's, that's got the whole shape-shifting thing. Ah, in it too. Okay. And your gods or the gods in this story, they are, um, let's say they are not gods that reside somewhere in the ether, but they are very present. In your books. Yeah. They're, they're, they're gods of the earth and, and they are spirits of a, of a place mm-hmm. and, yep. and they're tied to their place. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, most of them, there are sort of wild gods who don't have any people who worship them, but there mm-hmm. are most of them are kind of tied to a place that has people and the people worship them. But the people also have to look after them because they can defend themselves to some extent, but yep. not a lot. And so you have these gods that are I mean, some of them kind of get delusions of grandeur and have big temples and and things and priests and priestesses. And others are just sort of, you know, you're having trouble in your life. You go around have tea with the god hmm. and discuss it. Sort mm-hmm. of like they're 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 an aunt or an uncle. Mm-hmm. They're all, your your old grandmother, someone who's kind of seen a lot and thought about things mm-hmm. a lot and can you can talk things over mm-hmm. and sort out your own mind and get some advice. And so there's that aspect to the relationship for a lot of people mm. with with their god. Uh, mm-hmm. Holosei and the main character, his relationship with his god is very much like that. And mm. So it's a bit embarrassing when he ends up bound to serve a, some other goddess. It's a bit awkward for him. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just, you know, and frustrating because yeah. he can't really go home and be among it, his own people in the same way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the black dog. Mm. Mm. Which is... Very hard to control. Yes, indeed. Cranky. Oh yeah. Mm. yeah. A dog. Not not a good dog. Not a good dog. Nope. Nope. Definitely not. And it also reminds me a little bit what you just said about the gods uh, of Greek mythology. 
did this also mm. come into play in your mind when you well, wrote them? Not necessarily Greek specifically, mm -hmm. but a lot of the pagan gods who were not not all powerful mm -hmm. and who were carrying on having love affairs and having mortal children and semi-mortal children mm -hmm. and having feuds and mm -hmm. getting into snits and mm -hmm. <laughs> this sort of thing. So that, yeah, the, the Greek gods are like that. The Roman gods are like that. The, the Norse gods too? Yeah, to some extent. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't seem to take mortal lovers as much, but mm -hmm. it was almost they had their own history and didn't interact except for maybe um, the story of, um, I think it was Thor, isn't it, who's going around, or was it Odin, mm -hmm. sleeping with, with sort of three different women, creating sort of the three different classes of people, the, the, the warriors and the thralls and stuff. But, mm. but aside from that, you know, they weren't having mortal affairs mm. quite as mm. much as the Greek gods. <laughs> oh, gods. But yeah, the Greeks are a good example mm. for that too, because then they also have all these other uh, characters, who, mm -hmm. being creatures who, mm -hmm. who aren't gods, but they've mm -hmm. got you know all, all the dryads and nymphs and mm -hmm. satyrs and yeah, things. True. And so I've all all these sort of nature spirits. Uh, mm -hmm. The demons in, in my world are they're not that different from the gods, but they don't tend to get involved with humans in the same way, and they can wander around and stuff. Yeah, you they just don't have to stay yeah, in their yeah. place. You just said demons. I was wondering uh, since you're the author of the book, if you could. <laughs> Uh, cleared it up for me because a black dog everybody else uh, constantly calls him a demon my idea of a demon is slightly different i mean you said he's not a good dog he's not a good boy yeah but <laughs> he's one it's more negative. you want him on your yeah. side yeah exactly um well the thing with the the demon de i mean the idea the word demon if, if you think of greek and roman again mm -hmm. you've got mm -hmm. like daemon mm -hmm. the, the nature spirit thing. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, or a spirit of a place, mm -hmm. and so in this world, I used demon to be a sort of an, uh, an, an, a creature, like a, an, a supernatural creature mm -hmm. who isn't a god, but who mm -hmm. is a spirit of the land, like mm -hmm. uh, like Mickey, mm -hmm. the, the were bear. Mm -hmm. His mother was a, a bear demon, um, so she was sort of the spirit of a this forest called the Hardenwald, mm -hmm. a bit of German or <laughs> Norse in there. Ah, okay, okay. I see. Uh, and um, and so she was a demon. But the black dog is is not, people think it's a demon mm -hmm. and refer to it as a demon, but it isn't actually. And as the story, as you go through the five books, you eventually do find out what it was, mm -hmm. what, what the black dog mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And people keep assuming it's this and assuming it's that. And mm -hmm. They're kind of wrong. Yeah. Also, but, our our idea of demon is in yeah. this in this context completely wrong. I mean, yeah, I it's think, it's very much not the 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 Christian yeah, idea yeah, of a yeah, of a demon yeah, being exactly. uh, sort of a fallen mm -hmm. and evil creature. Yeah, they're, true. I mean, demons are just you know they're not interested in you usually. Mickey's an <laughs> exception. <laughs> a bit like sharks and humans, they don't want to yeah. eat us because we don't taste that good. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. same with demons, obviously. Yeah, mm. they don't want to eat you. Yeah. They probably don't want to sleep with you, except for Mickey. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, he's quite sexy. Moth obviously thinks so. Yes, okay, yeah, 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 absolutely. And your idea of the reborn gods, uh, because Atalissa, the one in the book Black Dog, at the beginning she's a girl. Yeah. And she's constantly reborn. 
I mean, the idea of being reborn is somehow familiar to us. But like you said, yeah. being a vulnerable god is not so familiar. Mm. Yeah. She was not not all the gods do this. This was she was sort of an exception. And yeah. later on you find out, you know, why in the book, mm -hmm. why this particular goddess chose to mm -hmm. be reborn in a mm -hmm. human human form over and over and then kind of got into the habit of it and forgot why she began doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But it made for a very interesting story because yep. you had a goddess who had a lot of memories of her past and things, but not any kind of divine powers Yeah, uh, until she grew old enough to kind of handle them. Yeah, And, and so you have her learning to be, um, to be a better person maybe than she had been because she'd been very protected and, you know, isolated mm -hmm. by her priestesses as though, mm -hmm. as though she was sort of like, they kind of formed a shell around her almost, yep. the mm -hmm. priestesses yep. and the temple. And that had ended up cutting her off from her world, her her little world of her lake and her people. And going off, becoming just the daughter of a, a caravan guard kind mm -hmm. of broke all that and mm -hmm. let her rethink. And so at the very end, uh, I think she's she's reforming how she, cha changing how she interacts with her people and her temple and her priestesses who at the end are, going off and getting married and things instead of being <laughs> this this celibate order because I mean if your goddess is doing it <laughs> you should be allowed to too yeah absolutely true and what was also interesting sorry Tika um, about the priestesses was the fact that they are not just priestesses they're also mercenaries yes which I mean you got that in the middle ages of course with the various um, uh, militant orders acting as yeah. you know, guards on the pilgrim route yeah. in, during the Crusades yeah. and things like that. So some of the militant orders, they weren't exactly mercenaries, but you could hire them. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, you know, how does a temple like this get some funding? It's mm -hmm. how, how do the warrior, these warrior priestesses who aren't actually at war with anyone, they conquered some outlying villages a while ago, yeah. like a, generate, a few mm -hmm. generations ago, they need to, you know, keep their skills up. Um, and so, serving as mercenaries guarding you know they're, they're not doing the desert caravans but mm -hmm. the, the traders through the mountains and stuff and so that seemed a a, a sensible sort of thing that yeah. they would probably have probably be doing and it it was kind of fun to <laughs> kind of i don't know why i still had at that point i don't know why i decided to actually have this sort of celibate order of of, of priestesses because that seems to be a very rare thing in the world, in this world. There's only two or three gods that you run into that actually even have a really mm -hmm. organized priesthood. Mm -hmm. It just, that that was one of the things that was sort of early on in the mm -hmm. story that I didn't sort of sit and think, what will I do? It was just <laughs> sort of there. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say that it's probably it interacting with the people. Um, it's also affecting her as a goddess, how she kind of leads. Mm -hmm. Arranged over the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's very much. Um, oh, by the end, I, I think they're going to be a much more democratic <laughs> monastery or nun nunnery pre uh, temple. Mm -hmm. A but, different, uh, a different kind of theocracy. Yeah, I think too. She's very much. She lost control of things by mm -hmm. choosing to be incarnated because there's always going to be this period when she's a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. needing to be told, you know, don't do that. Go and wash your face. 
eat your vegetables, whatever. (laughs) And people aren't, priestesses are human. And there's going to be the ones who, you know, who are the the teachers in charge of this, this child who's going to be their goddess someday. But meanwhile, they're, you know, having to (laughs) change her diapers. And this is, they can people like that could get used to being the one who tells you what to do and well you know she's for her own good will look after this yeah and then she'll because she might become an old lady and then you've got to look after things for for somebody very elderly generally the goddess began losing that that uh perspective of age and of, of, of enduring not not age but of having an enduring um span of many lives i think yeah and what i also liked about this uh, first book of yours when you uh, let us know about the background how this attack happened on the temple where the goddess lived uh, what i liked was the fact that you made the head priestess uh, not some goody two-shoes woman uh, but a rather conniving woman Hmm. I mean, she did the wrong thing, maybe for the right reasons, but she's not. Yeah. She's not better than a male. She's, head. she's there to no, get things done. She's... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I try. I do try. Did try. Well, I always do try to write people who are just people, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and so that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And to to realize that that she was actually, uh, yeah, not. I don't. I don't know how much we want to give away, but she was not very. Um, she thought she was looking towards sort of like the long-term yep. improvement of things, but was she really doing this? Or was she really just serving her own interests mm-hmm. and, and acting out of her own very human and not very noble impulses, having mm-hmm. had this affair in her past? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. coming to the question of fantasy in general, since the turning of the Lord of the Rings into these three parts movies, do you think the perception of fantasy has changed? I think it has. Um, I mean, I think it got a lot more people reading fantasy, but I think they were also began looking because, of course, the movies in some ways were very superficial. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some true. of the things that they cut out. Yeah. Um, and some of the things that they changed were really, really wrong. But that's a completely different interview. <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions. <laughs> but Please, please, voice them. Did, Feel free. Faramir, <laughs> what were they doing? <laughs> what were they thinking? They missed the point entirely. But anyway, yeah. It, it has, I think it kind of it made people, I don't know. I think fantasy has become less contemplative. Mm-hmm. In but of course that could be modern taste. Mystery novels too are having less uh, um, less space to slow down and think about things. I think, mm-hmm. uh, but I think fantasy that that is something that has changed in fantasy. And whether you can cont- attribute it to to movies, to the Game of Thrones TV mm-hmm. show, things like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I. I don't know if that if, if it can be attributed to that or not, but I do think that lately things have become mm, shallower often, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that is the part of this this thing where you have to have something kind of somebody's going to be getting killed on every page, <laughs> no, but you, you sort of have to have this continual 
pace, maybe? Pace of, of and kind of rushed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in that nobody does sort of stop and slow down and mm-hmm. have that kind of, um, have some quiet. The things that show why this world is worth fighting for, that everybody's fighting over, mm-hmm. that what the people are actually fighting for, it, it tends to emphasize the politics and the war and whatnot, but less the the things the home life and the the idea that this this land is something like that you're fighting for is is something that has beauty in it and 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 sort of older sorts of um values yeah now, now that you mentioned it yeah not sorry, a, I meant older yeah. like older literary values not not that this is like an old-fashioned value but just things older books used to have more more um depiction of that sort of thing I think. what what is worth worth preserving because mm. maybe come come to think of it now that you mention it um when i when i think back of myself reading lord of the rings and the first part it's rather slow it's slow yeah. going there mm-hmm. is a lot of description a lot of telling how uh, the landscape and and what's going on and the journey And no action, not not lot, not a lot of action. And now that you mention it, I think that's what he was trying to tell us. Look, look at this world mm. where where those those people live. And like you said, why is it worth preserving? Why is it worth fighting for and saving yeah. it? I might be wrong, but I have the impression that some years ago, mm. fantasy books were much longer than mm. they are sometimes now. I think if the book's shorter, you don't have that much time to describe a lot of things. That's oh. very true. Yeah, so you, you need you need the space to to create a world in because if you're writing a mystery novel set in you know Berlin, you've got a world that people know. Mm-hmm. They can go and look at a map. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't you don't have to explain to them, you know what. This particular historical thing, even if it's historical, you don't have to explain the like details mm. of yeah. in the same way. Yeah. You don't have to explain what the Uban is. Yeah. People know. Yeah, true. Mm. It, but you have to explain it when you build a new world, like yeah. you do in mm. fantasy or let's say in sci-fi. Yeah. You have to you have to do all of that yeah. to create the world that yeah. people can then go fall into. Yeah. yeah. Have we lost the patience then? I don't know. Like there are still lots of very fat books, but when I read them, <laughs> I find that an awful lot of the fatness tends to be. Mm, I'm not going to name any books in, spe- in particular, <laughs> but it tends to be sort of padding in fights mm-hmm. or padding in uh, politics, mm-hmm. in in like in arguing and, and mm-hmm. things like this, and people people doing horrible things to other people. In a way that doesn't advance the plot, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's almost like it's just there because you need more of that. But it becomes more more of the same. It doesn't it doesn't change the characters. It doesn't move the story forward. It well, it's like sex in a bad romance. It's not doing anything, <laughs> <laughs> and it it should be if it's going to be there. Mm. And so so I think yeah, that's kind of sometimes is the extra. Mm, the extra pages are coming in there instead of something that will work on more more than one dimension mm-hmm. in more than one dimension. Could be that if there's too much 
I'd say too much uh, description that people lose um, interest. I don't know um, their attention. It loses oh, their, their attention. attention. Yeah, like in films, and so that that's why they put in let's say more action. Yeah, even in the books. Yeah, you have to get a balance, and I suppose as tastes change, the balance changes, mm. and mm. Maybe my taste isn't catching up to what's happening these days. <laughs> I don't know. Ah, so they are going to reshoot Lord of the Rings. Or the plan. Ah. <laughs> At least. Hmm. Hmm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's lots of other good fantasy out there they can make yes. movies of. I could recommend some. <laughs> uh, the first one is called Black Dog. If, if any of the producers is listening. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And yep. we have a few more. So if you get you know. lots of scenery and yes. lots of fighting. Yes. Lots of lots of fighting. Lots of action right from the start. Yeah, lots of actually. Action. Lots of politics. Yes, as well. Um, <laughs> Some good special effects with all the shapeshifters <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe> that. <laughs> There's Beautiful no landscapes. Yes. You, you'll get to go. You get to go and film and <laughs> you know, in uh, oh, where where all of Eurasia, like you could all over. <laughs> true. True. Absolutely. Or yeah, just use a green screen or blue screen. CGI is very. That wouldn't be any fun. Yeah, I know it but wouldn't. It's cheaper, I guess. Yeah, you need mountains and lakes and steps and forests. Mm. Lots of travel for the crew. I mean, they'd love that. <laughs> yeah, but who's going camels. to pay for you it? You need, you need to go and get some camels. Yes. Well, obviously, it will be a, like a big blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, yeah. yes. And I mean, the the first book alone, we could make them free part. Ooh, this could go on for a while. Yeah. <laughs> See? Problem solved. They, well, they would be busy for the next ten, 10 years at least. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. You said at the beginning that the planning wasn't mm, re really thought through. <laughs> But I suppose at some point... You had you had to work on your writing process, and I'm imagining, just me, you know, uh, that you have this huge wall in your house where you have lots of information, lots of characters, lots color -coded. of color coded, yes, <laughs> and color coded as well. Did it work out like that in the end? Um, I do sometimes write things on a whiteboard, and I have notebooks that I scribble things in. But mostly I have a wall of books oh. <laughs> and then more books. Yes, more books, more books, more books, more books. Well, and some guitars. Uh, <laughs> mostly I have these books. And so I make stacks of the, of the books that I'm, uh, that are sort of like shaping and influencing mm -hmm. the thing mm -hmm. what, that I'm currently working on. Mm -hmm. And I think, I sort of, when I was waving, this actually, oh, I'm going off on tangents now, but this is, oh. let's see. Really? This is the book, this is the spine of the whole Gods of the Caravan Road. Ah, okay. It's a natural history mm -hmm. of realms of the Russian bear. Mm -hmm. But so it, it goes from, you know, Siberia, you know, the deserts, the Volga Delta, mm -hmm. it's. And it's just talking about the landscape and the plants and the animals. And, and that kind of shaped the landscape of it. Mm -hmm. So come, but come back to your question, the planning. 
in each book, sort of the next one is starting to take shape for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But sometimes the characters will end up changing the shape of that. But I always sort of knew roughly what was going to happen Mm -hmm. in the very end. And so that was sort of, that was going to be the end of the journey, although I didn't quite know what shape it was going to take. But some of the stuff with with Moth in the end, because we haven't talked about Moth much, but she's the character who sort of ties everything together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as her thread of story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I I knew kind of where that was going. And so everything else had to kind of travel towards that, Mm -hmm. bringing in encounters with most of the other seven devils. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them has actually been killed in a short story that happens before Black Dog begins. Mm -hmm. But but that kind of provided, um, uh, what would you call it? Sort of like the main route. Mm-hmm. And then the other stories had to weave and twist around that. And they could be shaped by things that I didn't expect when I started. Like, um, well, for the leopard and the lady, I had not, I didn't plan Ashvar and Goo, the assassin mm-hmm. and his friend mm-hmm. and lover who is eventually, you discover, is a god. They, Ashvar came into the story merely as an assassin. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to assassinate somebody and probably get killed. And that was going to be kind of like the the catalyst that kicked off mm-hmm. events. Mm-hmm. But he was so interesting. And he kept on getting more and more interesting. And I had put Goo in so that he had someone to talk to, because otherwise you have this partially semi-mad person mm-hmm. traveling alone. And that's really boring. <laughs> so I put Goo in for him to have someone to talk to. And then Goo took over. And Goo took over the next three books. And he's still in in the final book. Mm-hmm. He's still a very big influence and involved in shaping what happens. Mm-hmm. And I didn't plan him at all. He just appeared. So mm-hmm. who is whose sidekick then? Well, that's a good question. And I thought um, uh, Raymond Swanland, who's the, the cover artist for the first four books, and then, then the publisher was sold to another parent company and they they didn't have Swanland do the fifth cover but Swanland did the first four books and he answered that question really well on the covers of of the leopard and gods of Naban if you just look at how Ashvar and Gu are sort of standing in relation to one another who's mm-hmm. protecting whom mm-hmm. it changes between mm-hmm. the two of them mm-hmm. on the leopard cover Gu is obviously defending Ashvar and on Gods of Naban, Ajvar and Iva, you, you can't really see Iva very well because she's under the letter G, but mm-hmm. Iva, who's a, a minor villain in the first book, mm-hmm. but Iva and Ajvar are defending Goo, and he's sort of the central figure on the cover of Gods of Naban. And so the, the whole relationship between them changes, between who is orbiting who, mm-hmm. who is the sidekick, and who is the central character shaping mm-hmm how things go for the two of them. It's interesting because that made me think, the question also made me think, oh, like you said, you, you can't have this one solitary character. It's mm. boring. You need you need someone to bounce ideas off mm-hmm. and, and dialogue. And <laughs> made me think of Sina and Gabrielle. <laughs> Sorry. But... <laughs> and who, who is whose sidekick in the end? The question remains. It's changing, mm. isn't it, as well? Yeah. In some ways, dependent on one on, on yeah, each other. True, true. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. me, me and my Cena brain. But sorry, about that <laughs> just going off, I mean, going in off in the wrong direction. Holmes and Watson. Yep, Those are two. Yep, yep, yep. True, 
but not let, changing. let's be honest, Watson isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> it depends. Peace. Yeah. I, I I like the way uh, the way he was played in um uh by, Sherlock? Um, in Sherlock maybe? No, no, no. no. Bef- earlier, Jeremy uh, Brett's Jeremy Brett's uh, Holmes and yeah, Hardwick. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Edward yeah. Edward Hardwick. Yeah, there were two of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they were both very good, but the second one is sort of like stuck in my mind as like, he is the true Watson. Yeah. And yeah. and and it is more of a partnership there. Yeah. And that's when you when you read them really, that's there. Mm-hmm. It didn't it didn't put things there. Uh, the 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 um the Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett, it, it didn't put things that in that weren't there really, mm-hmm. except for letting Mrs. Hudson have a bit more <laughs> in, interplay with them. Yeah. But again, it it worked really well. I that was mm-hmm. a good partnership, I thought. Mm-hmm. It was also I would say it was also a good portrayal. Mm. I think he's 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 the one true Sherlock. True. <laughs> yes, I fully Jeremy agree. Brett. As as much fun as the others were, but Cherry B. Brett, mm-hmm. I fully agree. Yeah, he's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Just just speaking of he's the one, sorry. Um I'm again I'm losing track here. Who's your perfect Poirot then? I have to mm. ask, sorry, teacup. Just hmm. I'm not sure. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Mine is David Suchet. Yeah, I'm thinking that's he's probably the one. That I think of when I think of Poirot. Good answer. But, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> should be personal choice. <laughs> yes, it should be personal choice. But um, coming back to reading, yeah. Sorry. Um, do you still discover some some new aspects when you read Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, or I find even if it's not like dis- necessarily discovering new things that sort of on different readings. You find you're paying attention to something differently, mm-hmm. or maybe reading and looking at the map mm-hmm. more closely than you might have on other times. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just sort of reading it and absorbing the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you look more into the details because you know the overall story. Mm, very much, mm-hmm. and just the details of language and and how he uses the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've also written for children, fantasy for children. Yeah, yeah. Why, in your opinion, is it important for children to dive into the world of fantasy? Oh, lots of reasons. <laughs> I mean, fantasy, reading fantasy as a child, it's, it really shows you other possibilities. And it really, you know, it can take you away. And children can be very stressed by all sorts of things. And it's it takes you to some other place where you've got other possibilities and and a much wider world, mm-hmm. and uh, that's I certainly reading fantasy as as a child myself. That was one of the things that it gave me was just this much bigger world mm-hmm. and a world where you or or a young person mm-hmm. can have control over your own destiny and and. And uh, sort of like in the fairy tale, you know, it's 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 the same thing as as in a fairy tale. You you go off, mm-hmm. you you go away, and then things happen. But you're the one making the choices, mm-hmm. and of course, that's not usually the case when you are like ten years old. <laughs> True, yeah. And in fantasy, too, maybe not so much now. Um, 
but in, in you know the children's fantasy of earlier generations, it, there tended to be an expectation that children would be reading about young people who were older than themselves. So mm-hmm. you'd have you know seven and eight year olds reading about people having adventures who were still young, but they were probably teenagers or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sort of in a in a time before the invention of teenagers, they were just sort of like young people mm-hmm. between child and adult, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a, mm-hmm. a teen concerned kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like in uh, in historical fiction, Rosemary Sutcliffe, who wrote about uh, young people, teens and young men, mostly young men. She has a few where the main characters are uh, a woman, but not very often. And, and those were read by children, but they're reading about Roman officers, say, or, or young warriors. But they're still children's books, not so much now, because mm. people really think children need to read about only about kids their own age, but but it's sort of a, a, a kind of a liberate and imaginative, imaginatively liberating uh, thing, I think, for kids to kind of cast themselves forward a few years and and kind of aspire to that that kind of maturity, you know, the maturity of being fourteen, <laughs> in charge of your own destiny. <laughs> Seems so grown up when you're just eight. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, also, I've also written uh, two nonfiction books about mm. um, children's literature. Mm-hmm. Um, since when do books, especially written for children or young adults, exist? Ah, well, I think it was with the Victorians that you particularly got that happening. And they began to look on children as sort of existing as a a state of being mm-hmm. of their own rather than just being, you know, children. Small adults. You know, a phase you were going through becoming adults mm-hmm. and, and that you needed to just train them up mm-hmm. for that. It was the Victorian era where you really got childhood being regarded as a, a very separate state that needed different things, mm-hmm. not just to be taught to read and things, but needed stories that were different stories to read. And, and so you you got children's books becoming a kind of a big thing at that point, mm-hmm. which and that's what kind of when you get the roots of children's fantasy that as a literary thing as opposed to being children just you know be taking part in the the retelling and retelling of, of of fairy tales and and myths and legends and just your sort of local kind of not local but you know just the sort of the, the, the stories that everybody tells, mm-hmm. but you get things being written specifically for children that mm-hmm. are meant to be not for adults, really. Mm-hmm. Even though adults, of course, read read them, but you, you get Alice in Wonderland. And well, and er, there are earlier things too, but Alice in Wonderland kind of jumps out to mind immediately mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as, as a yeah. good example of yeah. that. Yeah. Although he was a little bit of an oddball, wasn't he? Yes, yes. <laughs> he was, but yeah. The book's still good. And you get, yep. Nesbitt, yeah. too, mm. writing both adventure stories mm. and historical stories and fantasy. And but again, her her well, her personal life was interesting in a different way. <laughs> she lived with her her husband and her husband's mistress, and <laughs> oh, took some of her husband's mistress's children as her own. Okay, they were fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. So the the Victorian. Well, she was more Edwardian. Uh, Vic- Victorian into Edwardian era so mm. she was later but yeah not mm-hmm. exactly the straight laced uh, who would have thought what's going on behind the scenes mm. <laughs> closed curtains <laughs> yeah. when you 
do you get an idea and do you know if it's going to be an adult fiction or, or an idea for a children's book? Or do you sit down and say, okay, I want to write a children's book now? Mm. Usually I would get the idea first and then it would sort of, oh, this is this is going to be for children or for, for teens. Mm. The Tory books, I really just wrote for myself, something that I would have wanted to read when I was a kid that I would have wanted to read now. And so they have that kind of, I don't know, they are children's books, but they have some, as they go on anyway, they get some layers and some complexity that are the kind of thing that I really enjoy now too. And mm. so I think they're they're a bit more universal in age mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. just a children's book, whereas my um, The Warlocks of Telverden series, which is a, sort of a teen series for um, teens, mm-hmm. is more just that there are adults that enjoy them and adults can certainly enjoy them. But Tori has more that kind of fairy tale quality that is a story being told to everyone. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's what I was aiming for anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you think that fantasy authors are more daring than authors from any other genre? Mm, depends what you mean by daring. Mm, to cover topics that... Others wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole? Ah, well, certainly they. the fantasy can provide scope for that by sort of setting something outside of mm-hmm. the real world, outside of here, outside mm-hmm. of now. And so it can be safer to put it outside to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get people using using it that way for mm-hmm. you know political allegory mm-hmm. or to mm-hmm. write about things that it's not safe to write about in your own culture mm. that you mm-hmm. can, and you can write about things in a sort of slightly sideways manner that people can read and maybe it will have meaning for them that isn't there on the mm-hmm. surface mm-hmm. that maybe you meant to put there mm-hmm. or maybe yeah. you didn't, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't think of it being read that way, but someone's taking it from that and finding some strength from it. So there's certainly scope for that, that, maybe isn't always there in realistic fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And KV, what would be your advice for any other aspiring fantasy author out there? Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing one thing I, I would say would be to to write the stories that you want to read and not to look at the market. Mm. Because now I think now more than ever, what agents and editors and publishers are saying that they're looking for is changing so quickly (laughs) that, you know, there's no point writing to what they say they want, because by the time you finished your book and polished it and, you know, written and if you're like me, you write and you rewrite and you rewrite, you polish. And by the time you've done all of that, what they think they're looking for is going to have changed because something else will be fashionable, will be the the trend mm-hmm. and that can be right now is like changing every single year maybe even every six months yep. so write the book that you want to read that's got the things in it that you want to read the things that you feel you need to read the things that maybe you're not quite finding quite right for you in other books kind of thing because there'll be other people out there that want to read that that you know if, if, if that's what you're hungry mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. there are other people going to be hungry for it too and so you know do that because it's it can be a long and horrible business. And so you want to be doing something you love. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> and not just kind of trying to produce a uh, a generic product. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sometimes so, it can take years. Yep. Mm. Oh. Now, questions from the audience. The audience. Would you like me to ask your question or would you like to ask them yourselves? You. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, you have only two questions you sent our way. And the first question was, when were you in Berlin? Ah, I was in Berlin in the spring of 1985, it would have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yes. Okay. I was on a three month exchange. A three month exchange that um, the I was. I grew up in Ontario, and the, and the school system there had a an exchange program, oh. a high school exchange program with uh, Germany, and I think they also did it with Spain. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Maybe someplace else. I don't know, mm -hmm. but I ended up in Berlin, which I came from a small village outside the city of Kingston, and I ended up in Berlin. <laughs> I didn't know that you had to press a button to make a bell ring to make the bus stop. <laughs> so it was very enlightening. I'd never been on public transit before. Ah, okay. Well, I love the S-Bahn. I, <laughs> I was in Frenau. So I was in a very nice green part of, of Berlin. Ah, okay. And I really also liked the fact that I could go for a bike ride in the woods and not get lost. Because you go, oh, there's the wall. There's the wall. There's the wall. If I got really lost, I could follow because Frenau is right at the very top and had the wall around it. So I could follow the wall around until I came back out. Uh, and you didn't have to be worried about uh, about bears. No, there are no bears. <laughs> But was it also a bit frightening because it's a very large city? It was very unnerving. Um, I uh, yeah, it was just a, a strange experience, but a very interesting one. And to go downtown by myself uh, with just you know my bus pass and my very iffy German and <laughs> and explore and go into shops. It was just completely different from anything I'd ever done before. And yeah, it was mm -hmm. frightening. And mm -hmm. I uh, I went up. To Denmark to see relatives too, and that meant taking a train through East Germany. Okay, yeah, okay. And so that was kind of you know you had guards with submachine guns and sniffer dogs coming oh. onto the train to check under the seats mm. to make sure you weren't hiding people, I guess. And, yeah, yeah. And and they're all very a very different experience. And I've always been very interested in history too, and so Berlin is right in the heart of a lot of history. And a lot of it was still very apparent then, just in, mm. in the state of the buildings and things. And oh, things like Anhalter Bahnhof, just this shell, mm -hmm. uh, the, the front facade of it, and, and things like that um, were quite fascinating. And I'd read a lot of Cold War spy fiction. Ah. <laughs> I really liked uh, Le Carre and Len Dighton, or Dayton, or however you pronounce it. And had the really interesting thing of just going for a bike ride one day and ending up in um, St. Lubars, mm -hmm. a section of Berlin where there's there was still there were still dairy farms and things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. And, and sort of, I read about this in a book. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm so here. that was really yeah. really neat. And like characters were here. Yeah. <laughs> and the other question was, and I suppose. Might be a hint in your in your first answer. Where did you learn German? Yeah, I started studying German in high school. Mm. 
uh, in part because I wanted to study Old English mm, at university, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and German is a good preparation for that. Yes. And then I went to Germany and mm-hmm. sort of sink or swim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a colleague told me, who's from Slovakia, Slovakia. Mm-hmm. Um, she learned German in school, then she came to Austria. She, she thought she knew German, came to Austria, and realized <laughs> She couldn't speak German, more or less. <laughs> Did you have a similar experience? In Berlin, it was all right. I, I read it. I read it better than I can speak it. But I've been to Vienna. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was sort of all right because everyone could tell I was a tourist, and they spoke slowly and carefully to me. And I, but I was, I was speaking German. The, the best conversation I had was with. A young man who was trying to sell me bootleg tickets to the opera because <laughs> I looked like a tourist, <laughs> and I don't know what his native language was, but it wasn't German, and so yeah. we were both speaking slowly and carefully, and that was my my <laughs> longest conversation. <laughs> I didn't buy any tickets, but you know, it was a nice chat. Mm-hmm. Can imagine, yeah, yeah. You see, there you have it. It's this, isn't it's the same with English. I mean. U.S. Canadian, very near to the USA, and your English is similar a little bit. Quite, quite similar. Yeah. The accent's and, a little different, yeah, but yeah, it's exactly. getting less yeah. different. And then you have the United Kingdom, the British English. Mm. Yeah. The same, you are divided by the same language. It's a little bit yeah. like us and the Germans. Or, or New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which yeah. can be very different. Yeah. Yeah, oh, English speakers. Yeah, parts of Africa. Yeah, Southern South, South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, it's also different. Also, the accent is very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And KV, may I ask about future plans regarding your fantasy series or maybe a new series? I'm working on something now, but mm. I'm I've been working on it a while because I was I got very burnt out, very tired, mm-hmm. and I just sort of felt like I was going in circles and. Stuff. So I, I took a break and I built a guitar, and <laughs> now I'm going back since I get my garden cleaned up. I'm going back to writing, and I'm hoping to finish it. Uh, I'm not sure how saleable it is. It's so I don't know whether it will ever find a home. But I've got another plan for another big epic fantasy series after that hmm. that I hope to be starting working on this summer. The thing I'm working on right now is set in a forest. Mm. and involves um, dragons and human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. A young man who's been sort of forced by his mother into the role of the priest who performs these sacrifices and is a bit messed up because of it. Mm-hmm. And another young man whose story is mostly told 200 years earlier, but he's kind of back from the dead. I mean, he's one of my characters, right? There's a lot of people come back from the dead. He's back from the dead. <laughs> But you get his story in the past as he and his brother go off or sort of forced to go off and fight um, an invasion mm-hmm. of dragon worshippers. Mm. And, um, and then, yeah, things happen. But that there is not <laughs> going... stuff. Yeah, but there's not going to be a mother of all dragons. No. No. <laughs> just a father of all dragons. Just a father of all there's, dragons. There's a mother who might be a dragon. Ah. And there's a grandmother who definitely is a dragon and she's okay. not very nice. Okay. But she has nothing to do with fashion or anything. 
No, she no. definitely has nothing to do with fashion. Okay, good. Just ask. Well, yeah, no. Very few of my characters have anything to do with fashion. Just asking because, you know, the devil wears Prada and so on. Mm. And, and they always called yeah. her the dragon lady, so just, yeah. just yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, I know my strange mind. Sorry. <laughs> any any more questions, Teacup? Not at the moment. The audience. Any more questions from you? No. No? No. No? Yeah. Not for me either. KV, thank you so much for making time for us. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. For joining us. It was absolutely wonderful talking to you. No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. It was very nice to actually see all your faces. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did? Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me a Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.